This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 229 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the Bruins improved to 2-0 on the young season with a 3-2 win over the Nashville Predators at the TD Garden. How are you guys? And how does it feel that the Bruins are, you know, so far so good? Everything looks looks pretty good so far. I'm okay. Battling through a little bit of a mini cold, but I, I think we'll be fine. Uh, as for the Bruins, uh, you know, I think we can just go right into our opening shifts and mine is about the power play, which uh, we we saw a lot of special teams both ways. And I'm sure we'll get into both the power play and penalty kill, but I think it's a really encouraging sign to see the Bruins top power play unit get going with a pair of goals Saturday, both scored by James Van Riemsdyk. Um, but even just goals aside, I think you saw better movement from that unit. And in a season where, we all think goals are going to be harder to come by than they were last year. You're going to need your power play to be consistent. You know, as good as last year's team was, let's not forget second half of the season, the power play went cold, like really cold for basically a two month stretch. Uh, that can't happen this year because I don't think you're going to have the five on five offense, the three, four line depth, uh, you know, to, to just outscore teams at five on five. So the top power play, you know, was a little sloppy game one on Wednesday, much better game two. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be two goals every night because that's not realistic, but I do think they're going to have to pretty consistently produce and not go through any sort of pro- prolonged slumps. So Saturday, a step in the right direction. Yeah. And, and mine is kind of related. So I wanted to talk about James Van Riemsdyk, who you mentioned scored twice once on the power play. And he's someone that is obviously new to the team. We thought that he was going to have that role net front on the power play. And we've already seen it pay dividends uh, for him, even strength as well as on the power play. So um, he already has as many, uh, was it, I think he already has as many power play goals or goals as he did last year. So his offensive output is, potentially from that spot going to really help the Bruins and to his, to what he can do, even strength. I really do like him with Zaka and Pasternak so far. That line has been one of the lines I don't think has struggled or lacked chemistry um, through the first two games. So I think that's a positive sign for them, just how well he's been fitting in there. Yeah. Van Reems like had two power play goals all last season on obviously a bad Flyers team that had a bad power play and match that total just on Saturday night alone. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, Tortorella was running the umbrella last year on the power play for Philly. So their their top unit wasn't very great. But yeah, I mean, naturally, I'll, I'll be the one to kind of just, I suppose, have an opening take and more of a, not pessimistic, just a little bit. It's just something I've just been feeling all off season. And that is, I just don't believe that Charlie Coyle is, is longed for uh, a top six, top two center role, mainly because it's a lot to ask of him to shut down an opposing team's, you know, top, top two center or top two line in and of itself. I think he's capable of doing that from a defensive standpoint, but at the same time, I think it's going to be a challenge for him to, to, to 
play an offensive role for not only himself, but a facilitator for, for DeBrusque and Marchand on that, on that line. And I just think that whether it's like, obviously the, the, the sexy idea is to put Potter there. Right. But it, it just can't be coil. I think long-term for this team to have success in the postseason, if that's what, if that's what their goal is. Right. So I, I just think that for me, he's he's better slotted as a third line center if, if charlie coyle is your third line center your team is just a lot deeper and you know i fear that to no fault of his own because he's hustling he's trying and he's and he's playing well but good for coyle isn't good enough in that role because you you can't just get by defensively in that role you have to help make the players around you better and, and help them produce and marshan and debrusque they need to produce and if Coyle's not the guy to get that out of him consistently, I think the Bruins need to consider moving him back to a more natural position as third line center at some point this season, probably sooner rather than later. Yeah. It's really interesting because the way that they're using that line is that's like their checking line, like their matchup line, you know, Marshan Coyle, DeBrusque are seeing a lot of the opponent's top line, you know, against Chicago's, the Connor Bedard line against Nashville's the Ryan O'Reilly line. And they're getting a lot of D zone starts. And it's like for Coyle, that's similar to what he did last year as third line center. That's how his line with Taylor Hall and Trent Frederick was used last year. It is how we've seen a Patrice Bergeron line used in the past. But obviously the difference is that Bergeron was such a good two-way player that he could handle those tough matchups and D zone starts and that line would still generate a bunch of scoring chances. Um, you're right that like, I don't think Coyle can do both. You, if he's going to be a shut, be using like a shutdown role, then it should probably be on the third line because you don't want Martian and DeBrusque just buried in tough matchups all the time, spending a lot of time in their own zone, which is, kind of what's happening so far so you know on the one hand like it is freeing up their other lines like just to go to a advanced stats corner here um the Bruins other three lines all 66 percent or better expected goals for percentage basically like all the Zaka line the Potra line the Beecher line all getting like at least two-thirds of goal opportunities when they're on the ice that's great the Coil Martian DeBrusque line, 43%. Like, again, it's very early. It's a very small sample size. But unless the other three lines are all going to, you know, really put up some points and produce, I just think that's sort of a waste of, of you know, Martian and DeBrusque's offensive talent. And, and at some point, you're going to want to get those guys into more offensive situations. Um, so I'm kind of with you, especially with this, you know, with the short nine game sample of Patra, it does make sense to me to try that at some point and give a Marshan Patra DeBrusque line, not just a look, but give them offensive opportunities and then have Frederick Coyle geeky sort of be that checking line that gets some tougher matchups. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure I predicate what, I'm about to say, because I completely agree with both of you, but I want to predicate that on saying that Charlie Coyle isn't playing bad hockey. He's just not a fit there, right? Charlie Coyle has been playing great on the penalty kill. He has been working really hard. He He's not a bad hockey player, but just when you put him next to Marshawn and DeBrusque, you just need to have someone in that position that's more of a playmaker. Not that Charlie Coyle can't be that, but he's not. he's not like that at the level that he needs to be um, to keep up with those two. So um, I don't think he's terrible there, but I do think they have a better solution in Patra available at least to try. Um, I haven't seen anything from Patra that would make me think he wouldn't be a good fit there. In fact, in the preseason, he and DeBrusque got some time together as well as him and Marshawn getting time together and they, they looked pretty good together. So try it for sure. Um, short sample size for Patra, but he has a, a more similar skill set to a Krejci than um, then Coyle does like, and, and Krejci is one of the best playmaking centers the Bruins have ever had. So, um, if you're trying to put someone that can make plays to set up Marshawn and DeBrusque, try him. I'm, I'm 
I'm here for it. I want to see it. Um, I think it could work well. Um, as I already said, I think he's sticking around for longer than the nine games. So if it works after, you know, trying it once or twice, maybe roll with it and, and, you know, see if it can be a long-term line for you. And then that kind of solves your situation where you do move coil back into that more natural third line center role. Um, but I do also want to say, and I think that Brian, this is something you wanted to talk about as well. Brad Marchand has been playing like a pest, like he kind of like vintage Brad Marchand. And I kind of feel like he's been taking himself out of games a little bit. Um, so I don't know if all the blame on that line can go straight to coil. I just want to hear what you guys have to say about, you know, maybe some other faults that might be slowing that that line down a little bit. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that coil hasn't played bad because he hasn't, he's played well. It's just the fact of the matter is he has a ceiling and that ceiling isn't high enough to be, to be a top two center because there's going to be times throughout the year where, where guys are slumping and, if Marshan's in a 10 game slump, you know, scoreless slump and, or DeBrusque is in a big slump is Charlie Coyle, that guy who can make something happen out of nowhere and, and, and catapult them into, in, into point, you know, scoring points and getting, feeling better about themselves. No, like Patrice Bergeron could do that. Matt Patra is a player where you can see him creating something out of nothing. Marshan hasn't scored in 10 games, scores a goal. Now he's feeling good about himself. The problem with Coyle is that there's just a lack of high-end produ offensive production. There's a lack of consistency there in a top-six role. It's not that he's not capable of making plays now and again, but a top-two center can't make plays now and again. You have to make them on a consistent, you know, gamely basis. Even if you're not converting all the time, you have to be creating chances. So your question about Marshand, I think he's had definitely a um, – again, it's two games, but – he doesn't, he doesn't seem to have that, that, um, oh, the puck's on a stick, something's about to happen, um, which, which is usually the case with him. So it might just be a matter of creating chemistry with, 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 with Coyle. And, and you're right. There's been a lack of discipline. I mean, last game against Nashville, I want to say there was give or take, correct me if I'm wrong, about 400 penalty minutes in that game. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, it was clearly a parade to the penalty box and, it's one of those situations where the second period in particular, the Bruins probably spent in all seriousness, it, what seemed like half the period on the, on the penalty kill. And then Brad Marshan goes and, you know, cross checks Gustav Nyquist in the ribs after the, after a play. And it's like, you know, this isn't 2010 where you're trying to make a team. You were just named captain of the Boston Bruins in their hundredth season play like it. So yeah, I think it's a combination of, Coyle's ceiling isn't there offensively to help those guys, and it's just been a slow start for those two wingers uh, driving to the net maybe. Yeah, you know, the Martian thing, it's like, yes, Nyquist sold it a bit, but you can't, you just can't put yourself in position to even give the ref a chance to make the call, to even give Nyquist a chance to pretend he's hurt. Like, even though, even though Martian has a C on his chest, he's still not going to get the benefit of the doubt. And yeah, to... You know, to reiterate what you guys said, like, Dallin's not playing poorly. I mean, Coyle's only been on the ice for one goal against so far. Um, he got a ton of penalty kill minutes Saturday. But at the end of the second period, he actually had exactly as much shorthanded ice time as five-on-five five ice time. So in that sense, it was just a weird night for any line to really find much rhythm. So, um, you know, definitely don't want to, like, overreact too much. but. Again, I think I would be more willing to just kind of let it ride and see what happens if it wasn't for the fact that, like, you have a decision to make on Patra now within the next seven games. And it's like, I mean, so far, I think he's clearly doing enough to stay anyways. So I'm not super worried about it. But if there's at all a chance that they're thinking about sending him back, like, I think it would be a disservice to not give him time with Martian and DeBrusque and see what he looks like there. And um, to, to that point, they did do that a little bit in the first game. Like we saw Jim Montgomery rotate lines a lot more in the first game than he did in the second game. And, and Marshawn did get shifts with Patra at different points in the first game. So like, it is something that I think he's very tempted to try maybe do it for a whole game. Um, just, you know, get a longer look at it than he did in game one. Well, it's also it's also going to be interesting if he 
does do it now. Now they're on on a road trip, so you don't have last change. You know, if you do it at home, you can potentially sort of pick and choose your matchups with that line. Now you go on the road, you know, other teams could put whatever line they want to out against that. If they want to say, hey, you know, we're going to throw our number one center out against Potter and really test the kid. Like now you're open up to that. The the other thing there though is that they're not exactly facing the cream of the crop. I mean, you have in the sharks. You are yeah, I mean, you do have the Los Angeles. Yeah, you do have the Los Angeles Kings uh, this coming Saturday, so that's a real test. Uh, and especially at the center position, that's one of the deepest teams down the middle in the league. But yeah, other than that, like sharks can't really give you a whole lot of a test. The Ducks the Blackhawks and then the ducks again. It's like, and even, even the Blackhawks and predators to start, you know, we talked about the Blackhawks, but it's the same thing about the predators. They're not a very deep team. Like there's, once you get to the third, fourth lines, there's a lot of like, who is that guy? Like where'd he come from? And so I think that's thrown up. Cause like, I'm looking at, you know, I mentioned like some of the advanced stats for the, the coil line. I'm looking at like, the Potra Frederick geeky line so far when they've been on the ice this season, the Bruins are out attempting opponents 25 to 10. And you look at that and you're like, wow, that's excellent. Like terrific. And then you look at who they face and it's like, well, they're facing third and fourth lines of the Blackhawks and predators, which are not the best third and fourth lines they're going to be facing. So, um, you know, th- this is like, there's a lot to break down the Bruins so far, but there's also a lot of grains of salt you have to throw into all this because they're they've faced two teams that don't don't throw the deepest offenses at you. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That's true, but the fact of the matter is, as you alluded to, that that's their schedule. For the, for, the, for much of the first month of the season, certainly Potra's nine-game trial, they don't have a ton of deep teams on the schedule. So it is what it is, and I just think that I understand why Zaka and Coyle were one and two going into the season, but nobody saw Patra pushing like he did. And the fact that he has, has changed the entire landscape. And I just think that clearly though he's only played two NHL games, we've watched him in camp. You know, when somebody is a playmaker and a game breaker, when you see it, especially at that age. And he, and he is just that he's only going to get better and better. And, and I just think that, Coil right now, given the Patra, um, you know, explosion onto the scene, he's 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 a force right now. He's a force to be in that second line center role with my with uh, Marchand and DeBrusque, and we also know that he has chemistry with with Frederick. So it's it just seems like a natural opportunity to 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 see what Patra can do in, in this moment. And and you, you like I said, Frederick and Coil have the chemistry we don't think he'll ever make that with, with Marshan and the simply because there's just a, there's a caliber difference there offensively with those players. And, and so I, I think there's an opportunity there, like you guys mentioned for Patrick in there. And, and hopefully, like I said, if Charlie Cole is your third line center, it doesn't matter who you're playing because you know, now, now you're matching center depth with the best in the league. Obviously Patra is not an established number two guy, but if Coral's in your third line center, it's all of a sudden it's, it's just, it's just a better situation for the team overall. Um, any follow-up on that before we move along to some of the specifics from the Predators game? 
Yeah, so I think that just to stick with Patra, I want to hear all of your opinions on specifically how he played in game two because we gave him really good grades for game one. Um, and I think that he took a little bit of a step back in game two, but still um, definitely on pace to stay with the team. He had some miscues, but then like, which we expect, like, we don't expect him to be perfect. Um, he had some turnovers, but then he always re- seemed to recover. Um, so that is what you want to see from him. He actually, like, I think he saved a goal at one point in the third. He grabbed a puck right off the the post, which kind of ended up there because he turned it over, but he ended up um, turning back around, taking the puck uh, pretty much off the goal line and, and saving it. So that's what you want to see. He's, you know, at least going and getting the puck back. And it didn't end up in the back of the net after a turnover because he worked his butt off to make sure it didn't end up there. Um, he did have some pretty good plays made I think the special teams game because there was so much of it made the night a little bit choppy for him um because he's not he does get time on the second power play unit but he's not on the penalty kill a lot and uh, a lot of the time in that game was spent on the penalty kill for the Bruins so uh not definitely not as good as his first game but still no means does it make you go oh maybe he's not ready yeah and even, I mean, maybe it wasn't as good, but like I still thought it was a really solid game. And and I thought that line looked good. I thought Trent Frederick had a really strong game. I thought Gigi looked pretty good. Um, you know, one thing that's impressive with Potra that, you know, obviously we talk about all his poise with the puck and, you know, puck support, like kind of always being in the right position. I also see him at the net front a lot, which has been a huge point of emphasis for from Jim Montgomery. Um you know, really he wants two forwards going to the net front for any shot from the point. And I, I feel like I've seen Potra there pretty consistently making an effort to get there for whether it's screen tips, rebounds. And, you know, he there's a few. A he he was there for a tip uh, chance last game. Uh, game yeah. Two, I would say him and Frederick tend to be the ones that are, that are right there near the net. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed geeky there too. I think that line in general has done a really good job of it. Um, Obviously, that's, you know, one of Van Riemsdyk's strengths, which we'll get into. He's, you know, another guy you see there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for for a smaller guy like Patra, obviously, he, he's still in that mode of trying to do everything he can to make the team. But it's like, it's at least a really, you know, it's really encouraging to see him doing it because I think there's still some other forwards who aren't being as aggressive getting there and are, you know, maybe hanging a little off to the side at times. but. He, he has definitely not been one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Bridget to answer your question um, and, and you, and you alluded to it, the special teams, there's no rhythm. I mean, from the puck, the, the, the time the, the puck dropped to start that game, the refs were just trying to become famous. And I, while I agree, a lot of the calls maybe technically by the 2023 NHL rule book may have been penalties. Just what do you, I mean, what are you doing calling like, you know, eight, nine penalties, her team it's just let, like you're totally killing the rhythm of the game that said he is on the second power play unit for boston so he wasn't totally iced out but the simplest way i can answer that question is game one they're down one nothing he gets a secondary assist as scott mentioned i believe you you lose him pulling up in the in the chicago game um like that is he he is the reason that that goal ended up in the back of the net fast forward to game two he he draws he draws the the penalty on Lausanne to get the Bruins in the power play through hard work and the Bruins tie the game. So both games so far this year they're down one nothing and because of Matt Potra's initiative in one way shape or form they tie the game. So he's impacting the game. So is he did he play a perfect game in game two? No, nobody in the Bruins did. So that's all you can really ask for. He's impacting each game in a positive way and he's getting he's getting his team on the board or helping them get on the board and not every Bruin can say that so far this year. In fact, he's the only really one. So I I think just it's very impressive so far. The only thing that I will say that I that I forgot to mention earlier is just that the face-off percentage was not good. Um it was below 30%. So um that needs to get worked on, obviously. Um and you know that's really more of just a getting reps against NHL players kind of thing, I think. So um, that was 
kind of the only thing that I noticed on the stat sheet from him that I was like, oh, that's not great. Because the Bruins, they they did lose the battle uh, face-offs against Nashville. So I went back through and I'm like, okay, let's see like who brought the numbers down. And, and Potra was pretty low on that list. So Yeah, he was he was two for seven. Um, you know, he, he was good on face-offs in the preseason, though. He was really good in the OHL last year, so... Not going to be too worried, like unless that kind of drags on and becomes becomes a longer issue. Um, yeah, if you guys want to switch gears, you know, I think now's you know we've talked we've touched on special teams breaking up the game and making it hard to judge five on five. But let's talk about the special teams themselves because man, we mentioned the two power play goals, the penalty kill. Also had another very good game. Nashville had seven power plays. And Bruins killed all seven of them. So Jeremy Swain was excellent. Like the Predators did get chances. Uh, it certainly wasn't a perfect penalty killing game, but Swayman was great. Um, and then at the other end, you know, both times it's Vin Reams that go into the net. One, he gets it kind of low at the doorstep and makes a quick move looking for a pass to Postanok back door and it goes in off a Nashville defender, which, you know, you say that's like a little bit lucky, but it's a play where you create your own luck because he's going, he's going to the net. He's being aggressive. He's putting the defense on their heels. And then the other one's just a nice deflection. Charlie McAvoy with a good tippable shot. And uh, Van Riemsdyk gets a stick on it for a second. So, you know, because there was so much special teams, it was a game where you're going to have to win the special teams battle. And, Obviously, the Bruins did with two power play goals and a seven for seven PK. Would you classify Pashnak's penalty shot goal also as special teams? Uh, I mean, on the stats sheet, of, is, yeah. is that is that, a, mean, is that a power play goal on the like officially? Is that a power play? No, goal? It, do, it doesn't count as a power play. They, I, I don't think they technically count as anything because like it doesn't count as a five on five goal either. So it's a it's a specialty play though, and obviously they're you know, there was a penalty on it, so. Yeah, well, obviously, you named it. I mean, the the special teams was the the deciding factor in the, in the entire game, uh, both ways. So even Nashville's second goal, I want to say, was was uh, on a delayed call. Maybe it was their first goal, but I think it was the second goal. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, so so every everything was was special teams. And, and yeah, I mean, the Bruins killed off a, a four-minute, double minor in the second period and really gave Nashville nothing. So it was, it was impressive. I think that, yeah, I mean, your, your goalie has to be the, your best penalty killer and he was, but it just seemed like there was a, there's a lot of speed the Bruins present on, on the penalty kill with Beecher and, and DeBrusque and, you know, Marshand out there and, you know, Coyle's experience. So, and on, on, on the back end, you have a lot of experience there too with Lindholm McAvoy and, and Carlo and Forbert, like those guys have, they know what they're doing on the PK. So, Penalty kill is strong, of course, and and yeah, the power play. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot. There's a there's clearly a lot of havoc that Van Riemsdyk creates down low. Um, you know, in the in the past few years, you've seen Taylor Hall down there in that front. You've seen Nick Foligno at times, Jake DeBrusque obviously prominently, and there just never seemed to be a true fear from the from the penalty kill that those guys are going to take it to the net every time or really be a threat, but Van Riemsdyk's range and just natural ability down there, just he creates a lot of chaos and the penalty killers start running around in that box down low. And obviously it opens up seams cross ice to, to Pashnak sneaking down or McAvoy at the top or Marshan. So, I mean, I just really like Van Riemsdyk's presence down there. And I think, I think he's exactly what they're looking for. He's going to be very successful there. Uh, Zaka looks better in the bumper. Um, the Bruins are starting to do the reverse bumper now, where it's it's Pashnak trying to feed Zaka, not Marshan trying to feed Bergeron. Obviously, with Zaka being a lefty, so and I love I love McAvoy's uh, shot mentality. Um, you know that that's one of his biggest criticisms. He doesn't shoot the puck enough and set the tone. And and uh, Van Riemsdyk's second goal, obviously being off the faceoff, uh, McAvoy just did exactly what you're supposed to do. And and so the yeah, both units obviously were very strong. Yeah, and something I noticed a lot on the penalty kill is just how many block shots there were by Bruins defenseman. McAvoy had four, I think. Um, and, yeah, McAvoy had four. Forbert had three. Um, everybody but Shattenkirk on the D had 
at least one blocked shot. So everybody was kind of putting their body out on the line for that, getting important clears and the forwards were a big part of the penalty kill as well. And then um, power play, obviously they, they scored. They're still that second power play unit. There's still more to be desired from for sure. I'm not sure if the personnel on that unit have hundred percent clicked yet. Um, but as long as you have that first unit going, uh, that's, that's a good, uh, place to start. That's your, your more powerful unit anyway. Uh, the Pasternak penalty shot was just sick. I I just wanted to bring it up just because, uh, you guys already talked about it a little bit, but, um, that was so impressive and just shot it from behind him and the goalie had no goalie had any chance stopping that. So uh, it was just, it was, it was very pretty. Put that on the highlights for the whole season. I bet it will be. Yeah. I mean that, that release and that shot placement uh, unstoppable for a goalie. And, you know, it's funny cause like after the game, the uh, Swayman was asked about it and he said, yeah, he does it all the time in practice and it always works. And then both McAvoy and Pasenak pointed out that he, tried it in one of the preseason games and shot it right into the, right into the goalie's chest. So it didn't work that one time, but um, yeah, Pasenak said he's been working on it since and went back to it and obviously had much better shot placement this time. Um, But, you know, it's just, obviously it's a penalty shot. So it's like a unique specialty thing, but it is sort of a continuation of just the different, releases and kind of shots that he's added to his arsenal in recent years and finding ways to, to deceive goalies. And like, we've seen it on the power play where, you know, instead of taking a one timer that might get blocked, he steps inside and just takes a quicker shot and he's done it at five on five too. And, um, you know, it's, that's, what's allowing him to, he's always been a good goal score, a great goal scorer. That's what's going to allow him to keep getting even better. And, consistently be among the leaders is, you know, is keep developing different shots, different ways to score, different ways to, to full goalies. So, um, yeah, as for the, for the power play and, you know, Van Reems like being that front, Brian, you nailed it. And like the thing I keep thinking of is you mentioned all those other guys, they tried at the net front and it's like, they all did some good things, you know, DeBrusque and Hall have some playmaking ability out of that spot where, you know, if they get the puck low, they can do some good things with it. Felino had the physicality and, you know, a couple moves he could go to in close, but obviously not as gifted of a playmaker. Van Reems, like, it feels like he kind of has it all. Like, he's got the good hands down there. He has the, the hand-eye for deflections. He's obviously a big body and he's physical. So he's hard to move out of there. And if he's in a position where he has a shot, he has a good shot in close and a good finish. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, that's obviously one big reason he was bought, brought here. And, you know, I already said like, they're going to need the power play to be productive. And certainly they have the talent for, for it to be clearly, no matter what you might think about their offensive depth, five on five, like, they have enough talent to have a really good power play. So it's just about putting it together. Um, you know, as, as for like uh, the penalty kill, I wanted to touch on too. You mentioned, you know, all the forwards, like the speed. It's also n- new guys or guys stepping up to more minutes. So for it to already look this good early on is, is encouraging because let's be honest, it looked bad in the preseason. Part of that was they hadn't really worked on it yet. But part of it was also, it's like, it's new guys trying to get used to it. And I think you already see, you know, where Beechers ends up at, uh, what, like four, probably like four something on the 423 shorthanded. Um, you know, it's obviously new for him. You see Trent Frederick get three minutes shorthanded. He was used very sparingly on the penalty kill last year. So kind of a new role for him too. Um, it's going to be more minutes for Zaka there. Coyle is now in year two of being a go-to penalty killer. Same with DeBrusque. Last year was sort of the the first year that he was really a go-to guy there. So, uh, yeah, it's encouraging that it's it seems to be coming together pretty well so early in the season because I thought 
I thought that was going to be more of a work in progress than the power play. And so far it's just hit the ground running. Well, and Montgomery commented in the preseason too how the penalty kill hadn't gotten much practice and it looked pretty brutal. But um, one last uh, comment on Van Reems like that came to my mind as well is the Bruins, we mentioned Taylor Hall, Felino, DeBrusque. The one guy we didn't mention was Tyler Bertuzzi because they found their, their net front guy in a power play last year with Bertuzzi. And he would have been clearly the number one net front guy this year had he re-signed. So obviously him signing in Toronto, you you lose that asset. So bringing in somebody, because again, you you lost Taylor Hall, obviously, but and Felino. So it's 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 to brusque or bust, really. And I think the Bruins just were they wanted more options there. And 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 yeah, I think he's not the most explosive guy going after rebounds, you know, beneath the goal line. But because of his range and his and his reach, he can he can, he can definitely bring some pucks in, and and it's just been a good fit. So he's he's massive. Like whenever I see him in the locker room, like if he walks in on his, like still in his skates, dude, I feel like he's like three feet taller than me. Like he he's big and he takes up a lot of space in front of the net that goalies can't see by. So it's not just that he's he's good at redirections and grabbing pucks off pads that, you know, rebounds. He's great at screening. Um, so he has the whole skill set of everything you want for a net front guy, not just, um, you know, the finish there. Um, so maybe he has all three of those things where um, some of the guys you listed just had one or two of them. And I did in my mind kind of laugh a little bit when I remembered that, uh, do you remember, I, I'm sure we all remember, let's not forget the Zidane Chara net front experience. <laughs> they tried him net front for a little bit just because he's so big and they're like, just, just throw him out in the front of the net and see, see what happens. <laughs> that one, that, that was a failed experiment, but it, I mean, it worked a few times. Yeah. I mean, it worked a little bit. Who, who was, who was standing in front on Bergeron's tying goal in, uh, Game seven against the Leafs in 2013. Yeah, it's, and it's in all the highlights. He's right there. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, with Vin Reemstein, it's like, this is just an aside, but I also think about, obviously he's 34 years old now. He's not the skater he used to be. But thinking back to like how intimidating he could be when he was when he was also a really good skater with that size, like the way he moved, it was, you know, you talk about the guys that could really get a defense back in their heels off the rush. And uh, he certainly could the way he'd, he'd attack defenses. And he used to do it to the Bruins all the time. <laughs> he was a Bruins killer. So obviously it's been, a, it's been a good two games so far for the Bruins. And I have a lot of positives in my mind. I'm pleasantly surprised that this, this group of guys, it really is probably what 35% turnover, maybe 30 from last year's team. Um, maybe even more, but I don't know, probably, probably around what I said. That said, I want to see how well you guys know me. We haven't discussed this, but if, if there's one Bruin that Brian would say has been a little lackluster through two games, do you guys have any idea who I might say? And I'll start the, uh, the Jeopardy soundtrack I, right now. Am I allowed to ask a question? Or do I have to just have to guess without any information at all? I would guess first and then ask I've, a question. I, I've got a guess and I think I might disagree. So, Okay, then I think I know who you're going to say then. Hampus Lintel? <laughs> yes, that's exactly who I was going to say. But okay, but here's here, here's the thing. So it's not even so much that he's been bad, but I think he sucked in the playoffs, number one. And so, and he didn't really have much of a preseason to speak of. Didn't have to. It's preseason. But I just think that last year, one of the biggest reasons the Bruins – had the season they had was because when Charlie McAvoy was out of the lineup for the first month and a half, Hampus Lindholm was a Norris, Norris caliber guy. And, you know, he kept it up for the most part throughout the season. What do you finish like top, top seven in voting or top 10? He may have dwindled, dwindled down as the year went along. My point is though, he hit the ground running last year. And because of that, the Bruins were able to have the start that they had. And it's almost like, because he doesn't have to be that guy right now, he's not being that guy. And I just want him to play with that same uh, level of play when they have all their horses back there and not when you just need to be because you're the only guy. And so I would say he hasn't been bad at all, Scott. So I don't know if we're going to really disagree. I just, I have a high, a high bar for him and I want him to, to meet it no matter what. I see. I knew it was going to be a defenseman 
and it was between Lindholm and Shattenkirk. Um, so I didn't know if, because I feel like your bar for Shattenkirk was already kind of low. I was also leaning towards Lindholm, um, just because Shattenkirk's a third pair guy. So it's like, okay, we're, we weren't expecting all that much from him, but I agree, Brian. And, and in that for what we saw from him in the beginning of last year is definitely different than what we saw from him so far this year. And in the preseason, so I went to one game, like I never get to sit in the stands. I'm always on the ninth floor with Scott. So I went with some friends from college and I'm sitting there and there's one point in, uh, I think it was their last home game of the regular season. Uh, he just makes this awful turnover and then can't get back on defense. And I'm just screaming. I'm like, what, what is this? Um, and it was like, just the sense of frustration in the whole crowd was just like, what happened? We, I mean, I think of him as someone that's fast. I think of him as someone who's good in transition. And at times he, at the end of last season and, and sometimes in the preseason and early in the season, hasn't really been able to bring that um, to the degree that we saw it in the beginning of last season. So I, I agree in a way that I think he has more to bring for sure. Yeah. The first thing I would note is, is I, I almost feel I almost feel like to decide how I want to tell you you're both wrong. <laughs> well, no, I almost feel like he like did himself a disservice with how good he was to start last year because he's put it he, at one point. He was like a point per game player through like a month and a half. And it's like. This is a guy who's never had more than 34 points in a season. And now everyone thinks he like he's going to be a great offensive defenseman. And it was like, and I, I remember saying this at the time, but I was like, I don't think we should expect this to continue because I just don't think that's really the kind of player he is. Like he's when he's been at his best, he's always been a really good two-way defenseman, very good in his own end, very good in transition, and chipping in offensively, not driving the offense and being like a top 10 defenseman in points. Um, that said, like, at, sure, it's fair to maybe want a little bit more out of him. Part of that, though, is the role that he's being asked to play. It's when it's him and Carlo, they are the Bruins shutdown pairing. And they're the same way I said, like, the coil line gets the toughest matchups. This is the pairing that's getting the tough matchups and the D, the D zone starts. And at that, They've been great. Like I'm looking so far this season when they've been on the ice, Bruins have out attempted opponents 36 to 19, basically doubling up shots on goal, 19 to nine Bruins more than doubled up. They haven't been on the ice for a goal against yet. Um, you know, scoring chances 20 to 13, like they do that extremely well, but I also understand wanting to see because we've seen it from Lindholm that the, he can do more offensively. Yeah, there's probably a happy medium between, you know, basically the no-show we saw in the playoffs offensively, and it's only two games, but he doesn't have a point yet. Um, so, yeah, like, there's somewhere in between that, but it's not – he's not going to be the point-per-game player he was early on last season. Like, I just – I think that was, like, a fluke. That was just kind of a career-best stretch that he's – He's not going to live up like he's not going to live up to that standard, but he did pretty consistently. It wasn't like a few weeks, like it was over a month. I feel like maybe more like two months that he was able to do that. Um, and he looked really, really good. And I, I wonder, we know that during the playoffs, there was an injury involved with his foot. I assume that it's had all the time to heal that it needed. It, ne it never needed surgery. It was just something. It was just something that needed time and rest um, to, to go back to normal. So, um, I don't think an injury is involved here. And, you know, also it is early in the season. I mean, Maybe he didn't get enough work in the off season while he was resting. Maybe, it, you know, it's just going to be a slow ramp up. I've completely changed my mind. Scott commit. I think he's been amazing so far, actually, now that I think about <laughs> it. No, I mean, Scott, what I would say is, um, yeah, he's been fine. He's, he's been good actually defensively, as you mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm not even talking about point production. I'm not, I'm not basing how I think he's playing based off of him being a point per game guy. Um, what I look for with him is the the defense, like you mentioned, which has been good, but
but he's, he's, he's a driver of offense and transition and his skating ability and, and his stride is, is it, it's, it's top tier in, in this league. And I'm not seeing him gain that, that separation from four checkers that we've seen him do since, since he's been a Bruin, at least maybe not jumping off the page. Maybe he is, I should go, maybe go back and watch, watch the film. Unfortunately, I'm not on the Bruins payroll as a coach or a scout, so I'm not going to do that, but I think he just, well, to, I, yeah, I will say this. So it's fun. It's funny you mentioned that. And I, I had meant to touch on this, but there was a point in Saturday's game where I was thinking like, I hadn't seen him doing a whole lot with the puck on his stick. And literally like the shift, I was thinking that he went behind the net, draws a defender behind with him, does like that quick cut out front and gain separation and started a clean transition. So it, it, now maybe that was the only time like I can't think of him doing that another time in the game other than that but it was funny like just when that that thought came into my head that you're talking about of like haven't really seen him doing this a whole lot literally that shift like he did the exact thing that I've been waiting to see and I was like oh yeah there it is yeah exactly and, and look maybe I'm being unfair because I, I do think I'm carrying over some some pent up fr- frustration from uh, from last spring and, and him just being a really invisible player after having that season for them. So it just seems like it's kind of been a snowball effect. And, um, but I just think like if the, the Bruins need to rely on defense and goaltending. And as you mentioned, he and Carlo have been a great defensive pair. So if that's their role, maybe I should just, you know, tamper my expectations for him offensively, but I still want to see him drive play a little bit more than I have so far through all, albeit two games. They were out there a lot against Bedard, um, which probably was their toughest uh, task of the whole season. Um, but, you know, and, and Allmark did help with the fact that Bedard didn't score on a lot of those shifts. But um, I want to, because time's winding down here for us, um, I I want to look ahead a little bit to next game, as well as to our next podcast, because we are going to have a mailbag segment, because we, the Bruins have, plenty of time off before they play again Thursday. So our middle of the week episode, we're going to be taking questions, um, mailbag co- comment on, you know, YouTube, uh, email us. I, I always put all of that information in the comments, like how to get in contact with us. Um, that's just a note, uh, if you're still listening and I want to look ahead to next game or even just the road trip in general. But, well, uh, but also, just in case people don't look at the notes, skatepod at wei.com or tweet at us at the skatepod or as Bridget said, comment on, on the YouTube video. Yeah, I check the YouTube. I check the YouTube comments, um, you know, every every once in a while throughout the day. So, uh, and Scott checks the email <laughs> um, and we, we all have access to the Twitter. So um, uh, I want to look ahead to next game. And I want to get you guys predictions on which Bruin who maybe hasn't quite broken out the offense yet is going to make a big impact next game. Um, I'm more thinking of the forward group, but if you have a defenseman that you're thinking of that, you know, you think is going to is right on the cusp of scoring um, and might have a big game against San Jose. I want to hear what you guys think. I guess I'll go first, Scott. I think, maybe the obvious answer would be Brad Marchand and I'll, I'll allow Scott to kind of think of a, a more of a, of a dark horse, but I would say Marchand. I mean, you're playing San Jose, Los Angeles and Anaheim, two of which really should be, you know, bottom 10 teams this year. The Kings obviously I think have hopes to be a solid playoff team, but if you're asking who I want to see get going here, especially against this type of competition, I think it would, I would say Brad Marchand and, 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 and um, specifically at five on five, but, you know, take what you can get. Yeah, that that was going to be my my first answer, especially with, like, the penalty he took Saturday. I could see him kind of just coming back and, like, having a takeover game, especially against a bad opponent. But I'll, I'll say Jake DeBrusque, who I think has been solid so far. Like, I don't think he's done anything wrong, but hasn't exactly jumped off the page yet. We talked about how that whole line has been relatively quiet five on five. Um DeBrus doesn't have a point yet, but I feel like, you know, I feel like he can take over at any moment. Um, I think he's a more confident player now, so I don't think, you know, going a couple games without a point, like I don't think it snowballs on him anymore. 
like it used to. So I could see, I could definitely see him getting going, whether it's San Jose or just on this road trip in general. Yeah, I'm going to go bottom six just um, because you guys are explaining some of the top six options. Um, so two thoughts come to mind. I And it's two guys who have never scored an NHL goal, and that's Matt Potra and Johnny Beecher. So I think that they've both done a lot and have come very close to scoring. Beecher a lot of times in front of the net. Patra in all, all sorts of different ways, just scrapping out in front or tipping shots or being sneaky. Um, so his first goal is coming on this road trip at some point. And I also think that Johnny Beecher and the way that that fourth line is playing and pressuring and forechecking, they cause a turnover back there behind the net or, or around the net. And, you know, maybe Lauco taps it in front to Beecher and he puts one in. So I think both of those young guys who haven't scored yet have shown good signs that they're right there. Yeah. And since it's, you know, I've mentioned it as like something Padre has to do more worth noting, he does have four shots on goal through two games. So, you know, to me, like if he puts two shots on goal a game, that's sort of right in the sweet spot, obviously even, even more would be great. But um, my concern there was like, he couldn't be at one shot per game or less. Like he, was in the preseason where he went a couple games without a shot. So but as we talked about, he was 75% shooting percentage. So well, now he's, now he's 0% in the regular season. That's true. That's true. But he had a great percentage in the preseason. All right. So any final uh, takeaways from the games that have been and the games coming up guys, obviously the Bruins are off until Thursday night where they play in San Jose. It's a 10 30 start. So um, obviously we have, we have today's episode on Monday. We have uh, Wednesday's mail, mailbag episode, and then we'll be re- recording um, Friday. We'll be dropping Friday. So um, any any lingering thoughts thus far before we close out? No, not for me. I think uh, – I mean, we haven't talked much about goaltending, but would just note Allmark and Swayman, both good starts so far. Swayman obviously faced more volume of shots and – you know, Elmark did face some quality chances. Swayman faced more of them with all the penalty kill time. But, you know, I don't know, like, why this is happening. But for some reason, in some places, there's already this narrative that, that they're going to have to pick a, a goalie at some point. And I'm like, yeah, but not now and not at any point before, like, maybe the last month of the regular season. Like, why why are we trying to pick a number one goalie, you know, a week or two into the season? Like, we, we know the rotation is very good. We know they're going to have to re- rely on goaltending probably even more this year to win games. So if they're both going to be really good again and through one start each, they have been, then just keep rotating. Like that, That's a strength. That's not, that's not a weakness that you have to try to solve and ride one of them. No, there's a reason they won the Jennings. So that's for me, that's not an argument until, until April. I don't, I don't need a, a number one goalie from now until until then. The playoffs is a different story because, you know, uh, carryover is a real thing. Um, playing with confidence, if a guy's feeling it, I just don't love taking him out of there. But, again, that's a conversation for, for months from now. As far as the regular season goes, I don't care if they put Scott in every third game. Like, you know, that's fine with me. So, um, as, long as, as long as these guys are arrested, I just think the game is changing where goalies do need to monitor how many games they play. And, and when you have two number one goalies – absolutely just keep splitting all year. I can care less. They, they better stay out of the box, the game that I'm in there, because I got to tell you, I, I don't do well with a lot of traffic around the net. So yeah, you have to, you have to battle. Though. Look, look through some legs and find out. So you're not screen Scott. Look through the Zidane Chara screen. Speak, <laughs> speaking, around it. speaking of goalies, and I, know, I, and I know we're getting out of here, but Scott, that was, I got to commend you for, for, you know, you, you dying on your, on your, on your sword there trying to get tim thomas on this all nice. centennial team so i uh, bridget i don't know if, i don't know if you if you saw the video the bruins put up but there was also a hilarious moment where <laughs> trying to think who it was was it was it uh brad park brad park and like everybody they're all going around the room like yep unanimous and all of a sudden you just hear scott in the background he's like i actually want to uh i want a further discussion and everybody's like 
like a huge pop. Everybody was like totally like caught off guard and surprised. And, and it's, like, it's everybody's... like when everybody wants to go home from work, it's like five o'clock and Scott's like, actually, I have another assignment we need to, we need to well, fix right now. <laughs> no, well, for, first off, that Scott was very reminded early. The teacher, Scott reminded the teacher in fifth grade <laughs> that they had homework last night. Well, you know what's weird though? Like, so I guess like I, I sort of get that reaction to Brad Park, but someone moved Brad Marshand into further consideration and didn't get that reaction. And I'm, I was like, am I insane? Like Brad Marshand is way more obvious of a pick than Brad Park. So like, I, I don't, I don't totally get why mine got that reaction, but uh, yeah, it was funny though. It basically my, my main thing was like, I knew a very good defenseman was getting cut. And I just thought like there were four locks and then everything else should be, should have been open to consideration because the guy who ended up getting cut is Lionel Hitchman and his numbers hanging in the rafters. So like, I know that's, you know, he played a hundred years or, you know, 95 years ago. So people don't really know him that well, but like, there's a reason his numbers in the rafters. So, um, but yeah, that whole process. There's a reason it's called the centennial team. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad that that Pasternak didn't get snubbed because I I've, I just think it's one of those situations where you're trying to make a centennial team of a bunch of guys for the most part who play their entire career start to finish and you saw what they did and and for you know Pasternak I I have little doubt in my mind he's going to end his career assuming he plays in Boston which we always hear for the next seven eight years whatever like he's going to be the, the the highest goal scorer in the franchise's history he'll be a probably a top five point score. So it's just one of those things where like, if this was 10, 15 years from now, if for the, for their 200th uh, anniversary season, he'd be on it. So why not have him on it right now? Like you, sh- I think I forget who it was in the, in the, in the round table, Scott, but one lady mentioned like, you know, you shouldn't punish him for, for his age. And so I, I was like, it's, if I think objectively, he's like definitely one of the top, you know, I, whatever. I'm glad he, I'm glad he got on there. So. That was good. There were there weren't many snubs. I mean, I kind of it seemed like the guys that should have been on that on that top twenty list were there, and you guys did a good job. Yeah, I mean, goalie was definitely by far the toughest spot, just because there's there's five legitimate contenders that all had really good cases, and you know, it, Frank Brimzik and Jerry Cheevers end up making it, and it's really hard to argue against either one of them. But then, it, like Tim Thomas gets left off. He had the the best peak of any Bruins goalie to Garras gets left off. All he does is own the franchise wins record and playoff wins record. And tiny Thompson gets left off. Who's a hall of famer who won four Vezina trophies in a Stanley cup. So like that, that part was hard, but it was a, we have a centennial all goalie team, five goalies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am all for watching goalies play hockey, by the way, like, throw some out as forwards but all dressed up in gear um i would i could watch a whole game of that there should be a whole league of that let's just let's be real you know now that i think about it in the moment i didn't think of this at all but just now um i'm kind of surprised there wasn't a little bit of a uh an all centennial coaching staff or gm i mean maybe you can't do gm because sweeney's active so and and montgomery is active but like i to, to to assign a coach, one head coach to that team, it would have, it would have been a fun exercise too. But I, I digress. It didn't happen, so it's a moot point, as they say. A moot yeah. point, not not a mute point. Mute point. <laughs> if if people don't know what we're talking about, uh, the Bruins posted the link to it. It's a YouTube video that's about an hour long of the selection committee with all the people that were picking um, the centennial team, including Scott, uh, who voiced his opinions, and uh, it was his time to shine. Uh, he needed, he, he couldn't just sit there and just agree. Cause you know, he needed that. He needed some airtime. I will say the funniest moment to me, and I'm glad they included it was, um, Nako Funiyama, not, I think it was when it got down to Tim Thomas versus Jerry Cheevers and they like went around and voted and she, she didn't vote. And then they're like, and Eric Russo was like, who didn't vote? We're one short. And she was like, I can't decide. I thought, I thought that was a good moment. Um, my, unless you guys had anything else on the All Centennial team, I have one one last thought, just a little shout out uh, to a member of the All Centennial team, actually. But Zdeno Chara ran the Bay State Marathon in Lowell, actually ran right right by my place. 
Um, ran that on Sunday. It's the third marathon he's run in the last like three and a half weeks. And he's running another one in a couple weeks in the New York City Marathon. So he's now run four marathons this year with a fifth on the way. And uh, he said he set his personal record today in Lowell. So, um, you know, returning to where he was once a Lowell lock monster uh, for for about half a season before he got called up by the Islanders. So just just incredible. Like he's just an animal. Um, in some ways, it's like on some ways, like I think this is more impressive than everyone knew like how much of a fitness freak he was don't during his say, playing don't career. Don't say more impressive than him winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> no, 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 not winning the Stanley Cup, but like it, he was always renowned for how being like a workout warrior and how great of shape he was in, and that's why he played into his forties, obviously. But now he's just turning into like a regular marathoner at forty six, and he's he said that he wants to do uh, like. Ironmans and triathlons too. The guy's yeah. just, just absolutely crazy. Yeah, he's built different. I mean, I mean, he's what six nine. I mean, four marathons in a in a month. I mean, I can't be good on those knees. He might want to take it easy just a little bit because that's those are those are ticking time bombs if he just, if he doesn't lay off those. But yeah, he's he's impressive as it gets. He's running competitive. Enough, he's run enough marathons for all of us. So. Good job, Daniel. Now we don't have to. By, by the way, another former Bruin might be running the Boston Marathon at some point. Uh, when we talked to David Krejci before um, before Wednesday night on the gold carpet walk-in, he said he's been running more since retiring, and he's he's not going to become Trower and start doing a bunch of marathons, but he, he's done a couple half marathons, and he said uh, he thinks he might want to do Boston at some point. So, um yeah, apparently that's that's the thing to do if you're a, a, you know, either Czech or Slovak former Bruin is you get really into running after retiring. And tennis. I think he also mentioned uh, trying to play Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I might start doing marathons. I feel like you can probably run 26 miles around Boston quicker than driving it lately with all this traffic. So I might start becoming a marathon runner as well. But until then, I'll just stick with the skate pod. How's that sound? Hey, we've we've been known to do some marathon episodes from time to time. That is true. Yeah, that is yeah. True. At like midnight too. If you like finish posting at like three a.m., I'm like, thanks, guys. <laughs> this is great. Not tonight. We'll get out of here nice and early, so you can you can do that, Bridget, before maybe uh, midnight. So, unless there's anything else, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you very soon. <laughs>